This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very happy to welcome to the show my next guest, Jack Coco, who's CEO and founder of AlphaSense. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. First things first, I want to point our listeners to your website. It's alpha-sense.com, alpha-sense.com. Jack, give us the elevator pitch for AlphaSense. Sure. Well, our product, uh, which is also called AlphaSense, is uh, an intelligence search engine for knowledge workers in corporations and financial firms. And we're doing the business information what Google did for the internet. We're organizing it and making it really fast and easy to find the information you need as a business professional. And this whole idea for this, and even, even the idea about there being a big problem to solve, came when I was in my first job at a college as an analyst at one of the big Wall Street banks, where we had all the information services um, available to us, uh, and, and even a, a library to request information from. And it was still incredibly hard to find information. We had to print it out in big stacks of paper on our desks. And um, we're just going through information day in, day, days and nights and weekends, and still fearing that you're missing something critical that's bullet putting a, a billion dollar uh, a deal at risk in some way. And that really stuck with me. And um, a few years later, uh, back at Wharton, uh, doing my MBA together with my co-founder, we were again doing a project um, very similar to my, my analyst days and uh, saw that this problem still was, was there, that it was still incredibly far, hard to find information. It was very manual. Um, all these search technologies and other uh, you know, machine learning, AI, other technologies that had come about uh, for many consumer applications, you had consumer sort of web search engines and other things making things incredibly uh, easy to find information on the web, but none of this really applied uh, in the business world uh, for uh, finding business information. So we decided that we had to go and fix this and apply those new technologies uh, together with cloud computing uh, that really enabled building something much, much better. And that's that's what we've built today. Um, and um, currently, people that are using us um, are uh, working at many different firms, um, financial firms like hedge funds, mutual funds, investment banks, um, and, and also hundreds of corporations um, where people in corporate intelligence roles from investor relations to corporate strategy to competitive intelligence and M&A are doing the same kind of research much more efficiently by, by using AlphaSense. Yeah. Um, first, I have to note an aside, which is it's your graduate, Wharton grad 08. Uh, uh, That's right. And, and from our, I believe from our EMBA program, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, it's it's Wharton Grad 08 night. I had my, just my previous guest, I think, was in our full-time program for, for Wharton Grad 08. So oh, welcome, welcome back. Great to have you join us. Let, let, walk me walk me through the, just maybe walk our listeners through a description of the user experience. So uh, tell me what, I'm, a, I'm an analyst, I'm involved in some kind of M&A transaction, and I'm interested in some information on a, on a company. 
if I were to type the company name into Google, I have a sense of what I would get back. Tell me how I interact with AlphaSense and what kind, what form the information comes back as. So, you know, you would run your searches for information very similarly to what happens on um, Google uh, or similar web search engine, but what comes back is information that's uh, um, kind of relevant for a business use case. We've aggregated content that is relevant from thousands of sources um, that is relevant for a financial analyst or uh, a business analyst. And, and then what the technology does is it understands financial language, business language. So let's say I'm searching for information about what my competitors are doing in China. I'm looking for uh, comments about capital expenditures in China by, by, let's say, 15 companies, or any number of companies. And um, rather than just getting results about CapEx in China, and, and that's it, uh, the exact keywords that I typed in, I, I'll get results about building a new factory in Shenzhen, mm-hmm. uh, a new distribution uh, center in, in Beijing, and, it's, and, and all these other types of uh, expressions that really talk about the same concept. And that's really the, the kind of thing that we saw that had to be done differently in search. If you type in uh, you know, a business term into Google, you'll probably get you know, 10 pages of results on that exact term. But um, what we do is actually treat the synonyms just like your, your keyword. You don't have to think about what words a company executive might be using mm-hmm. in talking about the concept you're searching for, our system understands that automatically and brings back all the results. So you don't have to worry about what you might be missing and whether you're using the right term. And, and yeah, uh, human language has a lot of variation. So we've, we've really worked hard to capture all that variation, both by leveraging AI and natural language processing and then uh, human intelligence on top of that to, to create a clean experience. Yeah, so I, I think that's pretty clear on the user side, on the query side. So if if someone uh, types uh, cap table, um, there's some lexicon that knows that, that, that the synonyms capitalization table, shareholders, few other terms would be synonyms, and you should search on those. So that that is a nice idea and seems uh, quite, quite useful. Uh, but what about on the data side? Do you also... Uh, provide some structure in how the information is returned, or is it like Google returned is just unstructured text? So we actually do quite a bit in, in structuring and organizing information. We bring in content from thousands of uh, sources, uh, many of them licensed. Today you'd have to go and log in to many subscription databases to, to access this. And in all these thousands of sources, uh, as you, you'd expect, uh, information has different levels of organization. So we harmonize that. We um, uh, normalize all the information. We uh, have hundreds of algorithms that are reading every line of text and categorizing information. So um, our system knows what company or companies are being talked about in a given document, what industry it's about based on the language, mm-hmm. um, and, and many other things that uh, help you quickly just narrow down your search to a given industry to uh, a specific um, set of companies uh, and, and uh, for example, track information through alerts very cleanly, efficiently, where if you want just comments about your competitors mentioning your company, but not none of your releases popping up, 
you can do that. So all that sort of pre-processing and organization in a way that's relevant to a financial or business user adds an incredible amount of value in, uh, in bringing back results that you can slice and dice in any way you want. Yeah. So I, I think I get the basic sense of how that is structured, but, but I wonder if it's, if the structure, how far the structure goes. So for instance, the ultimate in structure might be to return uh, financial statements in Excel with the variables appropriately labeled. And, and that obviously is super hard problem. If you don't know the source of the data, if it's just unstructured data that you're, you're working with. But so how far does the structure go as am I, am I actually able to get it in a form that would allow me to say manipulate it in Excel, or is it really still mostly text that I, that I then have to process? Well, if there's a table of information that you find, let's say you're looking for information about gross margins for um, for your competitors, mm-hmm. and you land on a on a table of information, you know, page long set of numbers uh, in a table, you can click a, a button and that table uh, gets extracted into Excel. So, so that's something that, as an analyst way back when, I used to uh, sit in front of two screens and typing Whoa. one number at a time into in a, into a spreadsheet. Uh, now all that it gets extracted uh, automatically, and and so you can get a lot of structured information out, and um, th- that's something our users do a lot. So whatever information that's in these documents that has some structure to it, we make it easy to extract it. But what we don't do is try to uh, say, well, you know, uh, you, know, you know, try to answer a very very unstructured question like, well, find me all the the market shares of uh, non-alcoholic beer companies in, in South America. Our system right. won't, won't do that. That, that. It'll bring you back all the uh, relevant data points. It'll get you those data points very efficiently, so you'll be able to actually um, answer that question in a couple of minutes, but it doesn't try to do that automatically. Mm-hmm. We're not there with, uh, with today's AI. Okay, got it. Um, and, and a quick aside is... Is there any connection to another search engine that used the word alpha some years ago, Wolfram Alpha, to try to do similar kinds of things? At least as I recall, that was the original attempt behind Wolfram Alpha. Um, you know, very, very interesting technology and company. I haven't followed them, but there's no no connection. No connection. Okay. Rest in peace. All right. So, so uh, Jack, tell us the origin story. How'd you get involved in this? Well, this really started from my own experience and uh, and you know that uh, kind of uh, encounter uh, again with that that sort of underlying problem mm-hmm. uh, back at Wharton and that's where I met my co-founder who's today our, our CTO and uh, we were very excited about uh, going and solving this we actually tried to apply our MBA skills in in real time trying to um, understand this market trying to convince ourselves that, hey, there's got to be somebody already doing this. It's right. you know, unbelievable that you'd have such a big problem out there that's not that's not solved by anybody. But we we uh, did our research and realized that it, it really uh, is um, true that uh, none of the big information providers had even tried to solve this. And uh, we researched the technology that was available, uh, really had had a good understanding um, that um, 
kind of told us this can be done. And, and then uh, after we were done with our MBAs, we immediately launched into this and, and uh, built the base technology that took quite some time, a couple of years. Uh, and then we, we were at a point where we had a, had a prototype that we could go and show to a few customers, initially uh, hedge funds. They, they were very eager to get their hands on this. So we focused on that as our first segment and um, got uh, great feedback, uh, improved the product, iterated quickly, and got it to the market. And today we have hundreds of uh, hedge funds and other investment firms using using the product. So um, that was a great place to get started. And, and then we just started to expand from from our first, first market segment to, I don't know, half a dozen uh, today. The yeah. surprise along the way was that we actually found that the problem uh, and, and the solution were very, very similar across all these markets. So we didn't really have to develop, build a different product to go to, to help a corporate strategy professional compared to, let's say, an investment banker, or private equity person, or, or um, an investment analyst. Jack, so take us back to the moment. So you and your co-founder met in school, and in our EMBA program, you were, you're keeping your jobs. Um, I, one of the things that I, I was thinking about is this is not the kind of idea that you can just describe to someone or show them a PowerPoint. It sort of feels like I got to see what it does for me to know whether this thing is useful to me. And and yet building this thing is really hard technically. So how far along did you have to push the technology before you could really get the first meaningful feedback? And how'd you go about that? Well, we we tried to be iterative, following our our learnings uh, um, in our in our MBAs, and uh, we um, we kind of built mockups uh, on paper on what the product would look like, what kind of uh, results it might uh, offer, and and started just getting feedback from from others. Obviously, having been kind of a model user myself, uh, <laughs> I had my own opinions, mm-hmm. but uh, but I also had many former colleagues that I could go and, and show it to. And, and uh, so we did try, we tried to do as much validation as we could be, with, before spending years building code. Uh, but ultimately we were convinced enough that we said, okay, we're, we're going to um, just uh, dive into this and, and build it and build it iteratively. Um, we felt that uh, software technology gives you such flexibility um, that, that you can kind of build just the core of the product just enough to provide value to one type of customer and, mm-hmm. and really iterate and get it right and then continue expanding. Uh, and, you know, we, I'd say we had a very functional product in those first early days. Um, <laughs> I'd be very embarrassed to show it today. It's, it's uh, quite, uh, quite simple and ugly compared to what, what uh, the product has become over the years. But we, we certainly tried to follow that mantra of, trying to be very iterative and building just what uh, kind of the early adopters in the market would need and, and then uh, expanding it from there. And, and then you know, I think we've, we've gotten uh, well, well beyond that sort of first uh, uh, early, early adopter uh, segment and, and uh, we're starting to get um, uh, quite, quite broad adoption in our, in our market. So I think that approach has, has worked in our, 
Yeah, and let me just rephrase it and underscore because I think it's a fairly generalizable principle, which says you start with a beachhead market that is a high need, high willingness to pay customer, in your case, the hedge funds, and then you build what in the term of art is called a minimum viable product. What's the minimum set of features that that customer would be willing to give you money for? And then you build that and then iterate from there, both to build a better product and to also look for adjacent markets. So that's a fairly generalizable strategy and one that I think you've used uh, quite effectively. Uh, exactly, and, and nowadays we try to modify that slightly and whenever we build something new and want to go and test it, we debate whether it needs, really needs to be minimum lovable product. Right, right. But, uh, but uh, really that, that has been the strategy from, from day one to mm -hmm. try to just get to market quickly and get the feedback whether it's good or bad just get 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 that feedback and and make the changes if necessary yeah it, now are you relying on any cooperation from the sources of data i mean if you look at for instance the way google does it they simply crawl the web as if they were a human a web browser and and there are of course other approaches that i think some of your competitors cb insights and words and others would use which is you actually d establish relationships with some of the data providers Wh where are you on that spectrum so we, we do both but we, we primarily we have collected high value licensed content mm. uh, a lot of the business content um, that is needed for this type of work really is, is subscription content that costs a lot of money and um, uh, isn't just out there on the open web. And typically it's fragmented across lots and lots of uh, separate paywalled uh, sites where you would normally have to have a subscription and log into it one by one, uh, searching for information with whatever search capabilities each one offered. We've actually gone and gone to many, many uh, providers and, and struck deals with them and uh, pulled in information with all the enrichment that might already exist there. So um, take broker research, for example, all, all the Wall Street firms research is, is searchable on our, on our platform among all the other content sets. And, and that research comes with tagging that analysts uh, that are writing the research are, are adding uh, information about you know, is this what, what companies are covered here? What what industries it's relevant to? Um, is this an upgrade or downgrade? Is is it an initiation report? Those kinds of things we we pull in because we assume that that human added uh, enrichment uh, metadata adds value and organization. But then we also apply our own AI algorithms on top of it, and um, our algorithms. Uh, going to do a second layer of analysis on those same kinds of things, because when you have thousands of Wall Street analysts tagging research, some are doing a great job, some are doing a poor job. So uh, to have kind of a uh, really normalized data set that is uh, where you can rely on uh, that one search engine going across all these thousands of sources, you have to have everything normalized. And so, so we add the algorithmic uh, analysis and tagging on top of it. Um, correct any any human mistakes or or misses. Um, Jack, say a little bit about about pricing. I, I suspect it's well. Just say a little bit about pricing. It's not always that simple. I know with enterprise products like this, but t tell us how you think about pricing and how it works. Well, it's our product is is a, a SaaS platform 
Uh, so clients pay a subscription fee that um, uh, ranges from you know, thousands to millions, um, but really ultimately comes back to how many people are using it. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of become the most convenient way to price the product and, and the best way to allow clients to do some scaling. Maybe only one team or department needs it first. And um, so that allows us to price it flexibly for uh, for that client uh, or another client that wants to go enterprise-wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's how we we approach pricing. We yeah, and so... Think about value, obviously, yeah. that we provide, but ultimately comes down to um, what is, uh, what's the um, kind of... Uh, what's the fee per for user? Yeah, and and roughly what it is. So let's say let's say I want to sort of try it out. First employee, I'm working financial services. Roughly, what am I paying? Um, you're paying single digit thousands of dollars per on the, on the, per employee per year per year. Okay, yeah. So it's less than a Bloomberg terminal. And right. more than a newspaper subscription, something like <laughs> <Right>. that. <Yeah. laughs> okay. Um, it, it, you know, I, I want to ask a question. So I went to, I went to try the the product this afternoon, and and the, you know, companies face this tough challenge, which is the freemium model makes a lot of sense because it gets people quickly to experience it. And you know, you've you've put a little speed bump in there, so you have to register. And I, I didn't give it enough lead time, so I'm still looking at a very polite email from you saying, sorry, or, th- or thanks for your interest, we'll get back to you. And um, uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about customer acquisition and how you think about this trade-off of giving people a free sample, a taste, easily, as opposed to putting them through a little more vetting. So it's a very interesting question that we've spent a lot of time thinking about, and we've been tempted to... Um, think about a freemium uh, approach uh, in the early days, but um, have ultimately decided that um, at least for the time being, um, this is the best best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the product actually is very simple to learn in terms of using the functionality, but um, because it's the first solution of its kind, um, it actually takes some thinking and uh, some uh, some uh, assistance to think about how do you best leverage it? What kinds of things can you actually now do that you weren't able to do before? So that's where the speed bump comes in. We um, we want to uh, give people a hand by understanding the problems they're trying to solve right now, what, are, what kinds of projects they're working on right now. And we have our expert product specialists uh, go and uh, help them solve those problems and kind of handhold just a bit initially um, to get them going and kind of uh, help our users figure out how do they get the most value out of it. Using the functionality would be just as easy as you know, putting a search into Google, but the challenge is in really figuring out how do you solve the problems that you previously didn't even know could be solved. So it requires some help. So that, that's why we decided that we needed um, to put a, bit of, a little speed bump. The other piece of it is just down to kind of content licensing restrictions. Yeah. And, and uh, the only certain types of people are allowed to be given access to this content set or that content set. And we want to give the full breadth that somebody 
um, can uh, a potential user can get access to, so they can they can get the best experience, mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of comes comes back to it requiring a little bit of setup as opposed yeah. to just go go and log into it on on the web and kind of try it on your own. So I can expect a nice phone call tomorrow. Uh, to- <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay, you can actually tell them I'm probably not worth their time. <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm just kidding. So. So, so Jack, maybe just another minute on acquisition, because this whole question of acquisition is pretty interesting. With a product like this, a SaaS product like this, is the bulk, where's the, where are the bulk of your customers come from? Are you, are you actually doing outbound sales efforts to the target companies, of which I'm guessing they're relatively few, so you know who they are, or are you really relying on people like me to stumble on the website and, and register? Well, People do stumble on the website, and and there's a good amount of word of mouth going around mm-hmm. uh, now. But uh, certainly that wasn't the case in the early days, and we tried to figure out you know, could we uh, find other ways to to like uh, have people just find us on their own. And what we realized was that when a solution for a given problem hasn't existed before, uh, or when people didn't even know that they had this problem, right. when they're just so used to kind of the old school way of doing things. Um, it's kind of like, you know, way back when people were using calculators and they didn't know that they needed spreadsheets until mm. somebody actually gone, <laughs> went to shake them a bit and said, hey, you know, spreadsheets are here, they're a thousand times better. So in the same way, we're, uh, we're doing outreach and, and um, getting in front of uh, potential clients and, and uh, explaining to them what's wrong with the world today. How can we actually improve your business and make your more competitive business by providing you an information edge? And here's how we do it. And and um, when they're not searching for that information edge because they didn't know that it is even out there, you kind of have to go and, and proactively reach out to them. Okay. Well, Jack, we just have one more minute. and uh, But I wanted – I noted that you've been – you've really been successful in attracting some investment and some resources, if I can believe crunch base, and I probably need AlphaSense to really get the right answer. Uh, you've raised around $35 million. What what quick, quick uh, advice or insights can you share with our listeners about how what, what you had to do to raise that kind of capital? Well, there are many ways to, to do that. What we decided to do very consciously was uh, try to do this step by step. We mm-hmm. took initially uh, smaller amounts of angel funding and very quickly got some customer cash flow coming in and and built a base, a customer base, kind of proved to ourselves that we can build a sales machine around this. We can uh, market this product efficiently, acquire customers efficiently, and, and really grow at a, a, a rate that we can plan and execute on. And once we had some numbers on that, we uh, felt comfortable that, okay, now is the time to really press uh, the gas pedal down and and um, the prior funding sources weren't enough. And uh, we um, felt it was the right time to go and, and raise uh, more serious capital to start, to start scaling things up. And um, at that point, we had hundreds of uh, customers and, and it wasn't terribly hard to convince people mm-hmm. that that could be scaled with more money invested in the product and as well as sales and marketing. Um, it could be done earlier. Uh, certainly you see a lot of uh, startups raising um, even this kind of money much, much earlier in the game, but we felt that we 
wanted to do it at the right time where we know that when we invest in scaling things up, we're truly ready to do it. We yeah. didn't want to do it prematurely and burn a lot of capital and realize that our product wasn't even ready for this or the market wasn't ready. So, um, you know, there are many trade-offs. Uh, when we were pioneering the market, uh, we uh, felt that this was the right way to do it. We had many things to first prove to ourselves. And once we were comfortable that we were ready for scaling, we decided to go and, uh, and raise uh, money. And, and that certainly at a stage worked out also from the ability to execute that fundraising. All right. Well, Jack, we're out of time, but this is a fascinating story. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. All right. For, for more information about AlphaSense, just go to alpha-sense.com. And you can also follow them on Twitter, at AlphaSense, Inc. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM, Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.